Thank you for tuning in. This is George here at Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. I'm down in the church office and just getting ready for today's service. I'm really excited about today's service. I, I hope if you've been following along, you are too. We've been in a sermon series called In the Beginning, a study through the Gospel of John. We've been at it for three weeks, so that means we're at John chapter 3. This brings up probably one of the most famous scriptures um, throughout time and history in the Bible is John 3.16. We're going to take a look at it. I really pray that this is a blessing to you. Um, just if you're driving, uh, sit back and listen to the Word of God. If you're at home, go get your Bible, turn to John chapter 3 and follow along with us. I pray that it's going to be a blessing and an encouragement to you uh, just how much God loves you. God bless you. The, the sermon's going to get started here in just a few seconds. Thanks. We've been in a sermon series, but it's really not a series. It's a study. We've been in the book of John, the Gospel of John, a study through the Gospel of John. And this is chapter 3. Chapter 3, you know, we all know John 3.16. Probably one of the most infamous, powerful scriptures in the Word of God. Everyone seems to know it. Sinner, saint, we've all heard John 3.16. So that's why I'm so excited to be here today teaching on this. You know, sometimes we wonder how God could allow his son to be sacrificed, his only son for you and me? And the answer is so true, it's so easy. He loves you, he just loves you. And if that's, if that's all you get, if, you, if there's nothing more out of this message than you get that God loves me, then I've done my job. But please understand, remembering that God loves you through the hardest things that we go through in this life. And it can be challenging. And trust me when I say there will be questions. Satan will try to convince you that God doesn't care about you in the midst of a child dying, in the midst of losing your home, in the midst of a devastating doctor's report, in the midst of our country seemingly falling apart over a pandemic that probably was man-made. No one wants to talk about these things. But will you still believe God when you're in the midst of these? Knowing and remembering that God loves you is not enough. It must be who you are. It must be your, your first line of defense, walking in eternity now. And I've never been more serious about it than ever before. And I, I've preached this so many times that we're walking in our eternity now. If we are walking in our eternity now, then what do we have to worry about? What's it going to be like when we get to heaven? We're going to be in the presence of God in a world that he created just for us. Who's going to be worrying there? Why should we worry now? We should be walking in our eternity now. 
Yes, we should be. This is why we have to be eternal-minded. We have to keep our eyes on the prize, heaven and eternal life. Because James tell us, tells us that life is even a vapor. Look at this at James chapter 4, verse 14. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is life? It is a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Has anybody lost anybody? That's, that's what it seems. It's just a vapor. We're here for just a period of time. I don't know about you, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm nearing 69 and I, I, it's gone by like that. I can't believe it, how fast it's gone by. Just, it's seemingly like an instant, it's gone. And we have to be prepared. We are blessed to be together here today, amen? All may not be perfect, but we are blessed because of what we know and what we know awaits us. It gives us the peace and the confidence, even though in the midst of tragedy. Okay, let me lighten up a bit. I told you we'd have a pop quiz. Did you believe me when I told you that? Okay, you guys want the lights on? Yes, sorry, my bad, I forgot. Okay, I'll give you a hint. Both questions have to do with cities. And this is going to be a pop quiz on chapter, John chapter 1 and John chapter 2, I think, I hope. Listen, this will set it up. John 1, 27, it says, It is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. John 1, 28, these things were done in beyond the Jordan where John was baptized. Does anybody know where that city was? You can, it's an open book quiz. Anybody got it? Bethany's pretty close. Some Bibles actually say Bethany. What were you going to say? Bethsaida. Yeah, it's a Bethabara. Bethabara, turn the next slide. Bethabara is what my Bible said it was. And it's interesting, as I started to look through that, you know, we know that Beth represents the word house. Abara, it represents the word ford. Do you guys know what a ford is in a river? I know a ford's the truck that I, that I drive. But a ford is, is a place in the river where the river spreads out and is very shallow. And you can cross through it. So in, in the times where they are traveling by foot, you know, you always look for the ford in the river where you could walk across the river. That's where Beth and E and Bethabara, whichever name it changes over time, at least it did back then. That's what it was about. So here's number two. After the wedding, you guys remember the wedding last week? Where did John say Jesus, his mothers and his brothers and his disciples went? Here's a hint. They went down to... No. Okay, go ahead and put it up. Capernaum. And then they went up to Jerusalem. Ah, see, you had it all the time. It'll be, I'll, I'll make it a little easier next week. That's something you guys can, can catch. Anyway, let's get back into our story today. But before we get into this week's story, there's one person that I want to talk about. 
I hinted to him at the end of my message last week, and that's Nicodemus. I had said last week that he was an equivalent to a politician, a priest, and a professor all rolled up into one. But honestly, I think that sells him short. He was a Pharisee, yes, but he was a teacher and a ruler of the Jews. He was a member of the Sanhedrin. This would be like being a U.S. Supreme Court justice, a really important guy. See, we, we don't know these things and we're thinking, well, why is this story so important? Only in their case, uh, uh, you know, their Supreme Court justice, in their case, they judged people as a Sanhedrin, but they also made up the rules. They made the laws, following the laws of Moses. But then you, you and I both know they added a lot to that. When we hear the word Pharisee, we tend to think of a self-righteous person, a hypocrite. And I understand why we think that way. Because these are people who helped crucify our Savior. The Pharisees were the most influential of the religious sects of Jesus' day. And they were strict legalists. They stood for rigid observance of the letter and the forms of the law, and for traditions. We are speaking of the law of Moses, obviously. And there were some good men among them, and Nicodemus was one of them, no doubt. But for the most part, they became known for their covetousness, their self-righteousness, and hypocrisy. But listen to what it takes to be a member of their group. And I'm, I'm coming to a point. They confessed that there was only one true God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is your God that they're confessing. They had to attend synagogue every Sabbath. They fasted and prayed two days a week, every week, and they tied 10% of everything they received. If they received 10 beans, they gave one bean to the synagogue. I mean, they were strict. Everything that they received, they tithed on. They had to study the books of the law, the Torah, every day. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, you know, the one we always skip through when we're reading through the Bible. They they had to not only read it, they were memorizing it. Numbers and Deuteronomy. To be a Sanhedrin, they had to be competent to render judgment in all cases that came before them and its members. And they had to be an expert in areas of the Torah In other words, they had to memorize it. They had to have enough knowledge of science and mathematics to be able to adopt Torah law in all possible problems. So, Pastor, why why are you telling us all this? Well, there's a very good reason. I want you to know how educated this man was in the Word of God, your Word of God, your Bible. This man was by far beyond all education that we could probably attain in the Word. So I'm telling you this because of this conversation in John 3 starts out with, Jesus says to Nicodemus, even though you have confessed, you believe in God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, you go to church every week, you tithe on everything, you fast and pray two days a week more than I do, and probably more than you do. And you have memorized the first five books of the Bible. Then Jesus said to him, if you're not born again, I'm sorry to say it, but you're going to hell. 
I know that's a hard statement. But it doesn't matter how smart you are, how good Nicodemus was, if you're not born again as what Jesus was trying to tell him. You must be born again in order to obtain heaven. I know it sounds harsh, but this is what the conversation that we're looking at. So let's get into this conversation. John 3, 1. There was a man of the Pharisees named, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. A ruler of the Jews means he was part of the Sanhedrin. Verse 2 says, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do this, these signs that you do unless God is with him. Praise God, Nicodemus, that you've seen that. So why did he go to him at night? Well, he was sneaking around. And it was a big deal. You know, the Sanhedrin, they, if they walked around, there were people following them. They had an entourage. There were people there protecting him. They were around them. He couldn't just sneak off and go get Jesus under the oak tree and talk to him. So he went to him at night. And Jesus was pretty busy too. He was healing people. He was spreading the gospel about his life and what was to come. So there was a lot of things going on. So, so Nicodemus went to him at night. And, and Nicodemus said, you must be from God. Even though everybody else was saying, this guy, it must be of the devil. It must be because we're, we're under Moses. We can't be under this guy. So John 3 says, and Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Is that a legitimate question? It is a legitimate question. Think about it. I challenge you. The next time you're ministering to somebody, you don't know if they're a Christian or not. Just come out and ask them, have you been born again? And they may answer you just like Nicodemus get. What do you mean by that? You Christians are always saying this thing. What do you mean by that? And it's a legitimate question that we should be prepared, be prepared to answer. It's so important that we know. Jesus was talking about spiritual things. And Nicodemus, he was looking at earthly things, his earthly mind of what he could put around his head. This is a big question. I can remember, I've shared this testimony with you many times, but when I was working <clears throat> in the work release program, I had that guy, some of you may remember me telling you about this guy named Bill. And he was such an awesome guy that I knew that he must be a Christian. It's so one day we were having lunch and it just had to be him and I. And I asked him, I said, are you a Christian? And he said, well, well yeah, I'm a Christian. And, and all of a sudden it dawned on me and I asked him the question that Jim and I ask all the time when we're, when we're ministering to people. If you were to die today and you're standing before God and if God said to you, why should I let you in heaven? What would you say? And he struggled with that. You know, it would have been the same thing if I had said to him, are you, are you born again? It, it, would have, it would have came to the same place. What do you mean about being born again? Just like Bill asked me, what do you mean? What do you mean? 
am I really saved? And so I got the chance to minister to him and lead him to the Lord. What, what an awesome thing it was. Because he says, if I'm standing before God, what would I say? And, and so I asked him what he would say. And he started to tell me about all the good things that he's done in his life. He's a good man. He is a good man. And I said, but not a single one of those things would get you into the kingdom of God. Only the blood, the life, death, and resurrection of our Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed, that's all that's going to get us into heaven. Not what you've done, but what he's done. And he said, oh my gosh, I've been going to church all my life and nobody ever told me that. So don't tell me that everybody out there knows because they don't. And you can't just assume that they know. So I'm telling you this, it's a great ministering tool. You could say to somebody, you must be born again. Are you born again? And the questions will start to roll. And it'll give you the answer just like Jesus did. Then verse 5, where am I? Yeah, okay. In verse 5 he says, And Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, some say being born of water is the word of God. It has been referred to, the word of God, as the living water. Well, that makes good sense, but that's not what he meant. Some say it must mean baptism. I see the connection there. When we're baptized, we go under the water, giving a death to our flesh, dying to our flesh, and we come up living in the spirit of God. Again, that's a good But I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. Remember the cross? There was that man on one side of Jesus that believed that he was truly the son of God. And he didn't belong on that cross. And Jesus said to him, today, today, you'll be in paradise with me. He didn't say somebody get a bucket of water and throw on him so he can be baptized. Baptized does not save you. It's accepting Jesus Christ and the gift that he did for us is the only thing that will get us into the kingdom of God. So I understand why baptism, that that kind of makes good sense, but it doesn't save you. But here's something that you can't deny. Every single one of us in here were born in water. The water in our mother's womb. Believe me, when that water broke, you was coming. You is entering this world. We were all born. He's talking about an earthly sense, the human sense. We're all born in water. We all are. Then he asked, he takes it to the spiritual side. We must be born in the spirit, being born into the spirit of God. And if someone doesn't know that they're born again, when you ask somebody, they're probably not. They're probably not. I'm not saying that they're not, but that maybe they just don't understand. We need to be born into the Spirit of God, and that's accepting Jesus Christ. Being born again is something that marks your life. It's just like being born in the natural. You have a birth date. Being born in the Spirit, I guarantee if you don't remember the date, and I don't, but it's in the book of life. The day, the time that I accepted Jesus Christ finally. Finally, as my Lord and Savior. Well, you might say, well, I've done that several times. I did too. But there's one time that really took. It was one time that it marked me and it changed me. 
It changed everything about me. And it didn't change instantly. I was still smoking and drinking and carrying on, but I knew there was something different about me. Every time I would use those cuss words that I always use, it would kind of hurt my heart. And I remember calling Michael, my spiritual dad, and I said, what did you do to me? And so I told him, every time I cuss, it bothers me. And he goes, hey, praise God, it worked. It worked. God is working on you. He is in you, and he's alive. So let's go to John 3, 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. See, that's what Jesus was trying. He explains it to us. That which is born of flesh is flesh. We're talking about the mother's womb. We all have come through a mother's womb. Whether it was C-section or natural childbirth, we all come from the same place. If there's anybody who didn't, we need to talk. Because there's something wrong. We all come. So he says that is the f- of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. That's the spirit of God. And he says in verse 7, verse 8, he says, Do not marvel what that I say to you, you must be born again. Because now he's going to give an earthly example. Verse 8, it says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. Boy, we heard that the other night, didn't we? We heard that wind. We could hear it rattling our houses. But we cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. We can feel God's presence. And if you, if you haven't, if not, just hang out with us for a while. You will. Just hang out. You will feel the presence of God. We don't know where it comes from. And when it, it's, even when it seems like we can't feel his presence, he is still here. And we know it because we're born of the Spirit. It's in us. It comes from us. So John 3, 9 and 10, Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Nicodemus, remember the whole thing I talked about? He's a Sanhedrin. He read the books of the Bible. He studied them. He memorized them. And he is saying, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him in verse 10. He said, are you a teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Really, Nicodemus? Even in the Old Testament, it talks about the spirit of God hovering over the land. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. God is a spirit. And Nicodemus didn't understand. John 3, 11 says, most assuredly, Jesus is speaking. I say to you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen. And you do not receive our witness. Jesus, in a way, was rebuking Nicodemus here a bit. And I think we need to really pay attention to these words. We speak what we know. What do you speak? Do you speak what you know? That you're saved? That someone you know may not be saved and they need to know the same thing that you know? We speak what we know. It should be in us. And and, and we, we speak and testify what we have seen. Well, 
Pastor, what have I seen? You see a dirtbag standing up here preaching the living word of God to you. Go tell him that. My pastor, man, he was not the kind of man that would be standing before you. But he is today, and it's only by the hand of God. It's the miracle of God of what he's done in my life. And it's a testimony that you can share and that's what Jesus was saying. And, and Jesus is saying, I'm telling you these things. And you still do not receive our witness. Verse 12, it says, if I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe when I tell you heavenly things? And that's what Jesus was doing. He was giving him earthly examples. When the wind blows, when a child is born. And he still, Nicodemus was like, and I'm not picking on him. He had a lot to encounter here with Jesus. And I believe that Nicodemus got it. Verse 13. No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven. Jesus is referring to himself. That is the son of man who is in heaven. Verse 14, and Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Even so, the son of man must be lifted up. Let me kind of tell you that you, maybe you don't understand that story. When Moses and the tribe of, of Israel were in the wilderness, they, they were attacked by venomous snakes. Lots and lots of them. I think it was a curse upon them. And yet God said, all right, I'm going to tell you how to do it. Build you a, a brass serpent and put it on a pole and hold it up. And whoever looks at him, he was referring to his son. Whoever looks to him shall not die. He gave an example of what Christ was to be in our life. It's an amazing story. And that's what he's referring to here. He says in verse 15, that who believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Hmm. Now we have verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There's those famous words. There they are. And so often we read it and we stop there. We stop there. Let's read 17 because he's not done talking Verse 17 says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. We must understand what Jesus was saying. He did not come to condemn the world. He didn't. And you know, probably the, the biggest example in my life was my spiritual dad, Mike. And I'll never forget, I've shared with you several times these conversations that we had, but they're, they're so profound. They were so profound. That same day when I was working for Jimmerville at the time, and Mike and I, remember you would let us, we went over to the pizza factory to sit down and have lunch, and I'd spend more time than Jim would give me. But Mike and I would sit there for an hour and a half, and, and, and I would just listen to every word that he would say. Because I was growing closer to God and growing in my faith and and there's some things about our relationship that I totally didn't understand. And it was at that time I was planning on planting a church. 
Remember, I talked to you a lot about that back in those days, Jim. I was planning on planting a church, and so I went to my, my, my spiritual mentor, and I said, Mike, this is what God's put on my, ha- on my heart, and we're both sitting there eating those big sandwiches there at the pizza factory, and he's, he's biting his, and I said, God said that he wanted me to plant a church, and he kind of went, <clears throat> and he took a drink of his soda. And I was waiting for the words from God. I was sitting there waiting for what he was going to utter. And when he swallowed, he said, run. <laughs> and I said, run, run. It wasn't what I was expecting him to say. He said, run. And I said, Mike, I can't even eat my sandwich anymore. Why would you tell me to run? He said, run hard and run fast. And when you finally run out of room to run, then plant your church. And I said, Mike, I've been running for 35 years. I've run through hell. I've run all over the place. I can't run anymore. He goes, oh, yeah, then there's that other thing. Now he has me so completely confused. I said, what do you mean other thing? He said, sheep bite. And I said, okay, so what are you telling me? He said, you follow the Lord. If God's calling you to plant a church, then son, plant the church. Plant the church. And I said, but now you got me worried about sheep biting. He goes, oh, you'll get bit. You'll get chewed up, but plant the church. But at this very same conversation, we had so much had, had gone on. And, and I said, Mike, there's something I don't understand. Those years back when I was in Groveland and then we moved down here to Sonora, we had the motorcycle shop and you were coming and working in my shop and you were, and, and I was sending you to buy beer. You know that I was laughing at you behind your back. And he goes, yeah, I know. And I said, why didn't you tell me then, you know, George, stop drinking. Your life will get better. Why didn't you tell me, George, stop cussing the way you cuss all the time? I was ridiculously bad. Why, why didn't you tell me? And he said, that's probably the stupidest question you've ever asked. What? And he said, if I had said at any point in our relationship, you got to stop drinking and start acting right. By the way, you better stop cussing. What would you have done? I had to think about it for a minute. I said, I probably would have ended our relationship. Exactly. Exactly. I didn't come to condemn you. I come to live my life in front of you until the day that you would see it enough and you would say, that's what I want. And that's exactly what he did. And that's what we're called to do. We, he didn't come to the world to condemn it. You don't have to condemn people that you see that are obviously doing things that are wrong. You love them and you pray for them. And you be a witness to them on how you're living. Who wants to be like a Christian if all he's doing is wagging his finger at somebody else saying, you guys are wrong. You guys shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be drinking. You shouldn't be cussing. You shouldn't be riding them motorcycles. You shouldn't be doing that. You're just, you just cut off your relationship. What God has called us to do is to love one another. And to display our lives in front of them. I've completely lost my place. But that's okay, we'll find it.
It's not just those outside the church that we need to be a witness to. Jesus tells us himself, everyone must be born again. And maybe there's someone sitting in here says, I, I, I think I am. I, I don't know for sure. Well, let's, let's just clear that up today. Let's get born again. Let's make sure. Remember, life is but a vapor. Just a vapor. It, it brings to mind a, 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 a Thursday's prayer meeting when I went to a bishop of, of another church. He was only 50-something years old. His name is Tony Miller. Big church down in Oklahoma. Awesome speaker. I've never, I never knew of him. And when they told me about him, I went home and got him, pulled him up online. And I went, oh my gosh. And I was going to get to meet him this summer because he was going to hold some meetings out here this summer. And he died, had a heart attack and died on Monday. This huge church. We don't know what tomorrow brings. We need to be saved and know that we're saved. That breaks us to Matthew chapter 7. Jesus speaking here. He says, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there is many who go in by it. Do you understand what he's saying? Broad is the way that takes you to hell. Verse 14, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. Think of yourself as being so blessed to be here today to hear the living word of God that you have found it. And obviously it's not easy. Listen, he says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way. Well, we live in this crazy world that is difficult and there's difficult things to have to put up with. I had to confess to my prayer brothers that I said, you guys pray for me because I'm getting angry because I'm listening to the news. And one brother leaned over, Pastor Jack, he goes, shut it off. Shut it off because you'll find yourself angry and there may be somebody in your church that is totally different thinking than the way you're thinking, so shut it off. I'm called to love them. It's not about my political views. What's going on in this nation is not about my political views. It's about Jesus. It's about being born again. And I said, thank you, brother. I needed that. And I shut the news off. I know you have too, Laura, because it just, it gets to you and you start getting this anxiety and like, he's going to ruin this country. And you know what? That's not my problem. My problem is understanding the word of God and ministering the gospel to those whom God loves. And I'm getting, you know, this anxiety towards people that I call liberals. What? No, those are God's kids. There I go, getting political again. Verse 15. But beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly, they are as ravenous wolves. Verse 14, uh, 16, I'm sorry. You know them by their fruits. 
Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Oh, the answer is obviously no. Verse 17, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Verse 18, a good tree cannot bear bad fruit. He goes on to say it again, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I'll let you guys figure that out. If you can't, I'll explain. Just raise your hand. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Verse 21, I'm just going to finish out this Matthew and then we're going to talk about this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Verse 22, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, we have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, did many wonders in your name? He's not talking about people down at the bar. He's talking about church. We don't prophesy unless you're drunk and babbling, you know, carrying on. We don't do these things anywhere but in church. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to us. And verse 23, he says, And then I will declare to you, I never knew you department from me, you who practice lawlessness. So it's obviously who God was talking to, and he's talking to his church. It's important. We must judge ourselves and ask ourselves the hard questions. We have to. We have to ask ourselves the hard questions. Am I bearing good fruit? How do I know? How do I know? Well, sometimes I'm telling you, it's not so easily seen. And no, he's not talking about our kids. Because if he was talking about our kids, Manny and Susanna's kids would mean they walk on water. That's how much I love those kids. Do you not agree with me, Laura? That means they must walk on water. They are absolutely holy saints. I'm telling you, he's not talking about our kids. He's talking about the fruit of our lives. Well, what is it? The fruit of a new Christian can be just holding your temper in a difficult moment. That's fruit. You know, someone slaps me, the first thing I want to do is slap them back. That's my reflection. That, that's, that's a natural reaction. Thank you for that. Amen, brother. Because that's just the truth. But I hope and I pray that I'm changing. That they slap me in the cheek. I'll turn my head and say to slap the other one too. Because I love you that much. It could be as simple as saying no and going home. Instead of staying for that third or fourth drink where you know you start getting stupid. You know. Change is fruit. A desire to be in church, waking up with a worship song on your heart. Does anybody do that? Praise God, I wake up with a worship song on my heart. 
That's fruit. That's fruit, knowing that God will answer my prayers even if I don't see it. But see, we're so conditioned. We want to see it. We say, God, you, you, you got you to gotta, you gotta heal this child, and God doesn't heal that child. And we start losing faith. It's God's business whether he's going to heal that child or not. Not ours. We just pray and we believe. I got to tell you, it almost took me out. I'm sure, Terry, you remember when you, we were praying for my grandson with cancer. You remember those years? I was sure that God would heal him. I was sure that God would preserve his life. And it nearly took me out when he died. Yeah, there were questions. There were questions. Praise God, I got to lead him to the Lord, though, before he died. At 18, I don't know, maybe he was saved anyway. I don't know what God does with these kids, but there are things that happen in our lives that are not easy. And, and Satan wants to use every one of these, these earthly things that happen because we live in a world that is lost and dying. And guess what? We're all a little closer to death today. We're all going to die unless Jesus comes and takes his church before I die. And wouldn't that be wonderful? But don't you mourn for me when I die. I want a jig being danced here on the church floor with tears coming down your face. Okay, because you're going to miss me. I'm going to miss you too. But we're all going to be together soon because of what we know. I know that fruit's not easy to see. Start looking into your own life. Can I be known by my fruit? Only, only you're the one that can judge you. I can't judge you. I love you too much to judge you. You all got good fruit. You judge you. Let's go back to John 31. I'm skipping. This is why I said I can't read every, every scripture in each one of these chapters or we would never get through the book of John. So that's why you're going to read John 3, the, the rest of the chapter, the whole chapter this next week, and John 4. Everybody got that? That's this week's homework. John 3, 31, he comes from above. He who comes from above is above all. He's talking about Jesus. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. John three thirty two. And what he has seen and heard, that he testifies. And no one received Jesus' testimony. Oh, some did, but there were so many of the Jews. That's who he came for originally. And they would not receive his testimony. He who has received, he who has received, this is verse 33, his testimony has certified that God is true. Are you certified? Is God true in your life? In the midst of hard times. Has anybody in here not had hard times? I think we all have. Are we going to hold our faith? 
Verse 34 says, For he whom God sent speaks the words of God. That's all that Jesus spoke were the words of God. He would only speak what his father had said. It's okay. Praise God. The words of God. For God does not give the spirit by measure. Each one of us have been given the spirit of God. And no one has more than the other. Each one has his spirit that has accepted him. The father loves the son and has given all things unto his hand, into his hand. John 3.36, he who believes in the son has everlasting life. And he who does not believe in the son shall not see life but the wrath of God abides in him. How many people do you know are really good people? I'm saying genuinely good people, but they're not saved. How many do you know? And the Bible's telling us that the wrath of God lives in him because he doesn't believe in the blood of the cross. Tony, go ahead and come on up, please. Is that, is that what's going on? Let's take a moment and pray for Kay. Yes, let's do that. And if you need to get up and get some air, it's quite all right. Because we're just about done. You can get out and get some air. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray for Kay right now. Father, we, we plead the blood of Jesus over her. She is felt this way several times before. And Father, I'm, I'm so glad that somebody has caught it and sees it. Father, we ask you to touch her even now as we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray.